and we're live on the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. Good morning. How are we doing, Frank? Doing awesome, man. Getting over snow in New York. The weather has been terrible. You're rubbing it in my face every day because you live in Tampa or near Tampa. So that's going not so great, but work's going well. So I'm yes, we, doing good though. We, we are in uh, hustle, hustle, hustle mode. The, hey, are you guys busy? Well, we're trying to raise money for our deal right now. Uh, so we got to get it done. We're raising money and uh, hustling like crazy, right? Yeah, it's, um, it is cool though, how different our experience is on our second storage deal as it was our first or then our first. The first one, we had no experience, no track record, first deal. And we were just, it was just all hustle, right? Like we were just running around to everyone who had invested with us previously in our single family business, family, friends, whatever. And we just got the deal done. This time around, we have a little bit of credibility, right? Because we have a track record and so a lot of our previous investors put money into this deal. So the the ease of raising capital, you could start seeing it, right? It's getting much, much easier. So I am grateful for that, no doubt. Absolutely. And one of the differences this time for me is I think you did most of the heavy lifting with capital raising last time, and I'm doing more of it this time. So I'm getting to talk to investors a lot more, especially like I'm, some people I've never talked to before. And they've just seen us on Twitter or from our alumni network and talking to them about you know their goals and their plans and if they want to invest. Uh, so that's fun. It's good. It makes me a much more empathetic investor, I think, to to be like, hey, every dollar that someone gives us is important and that person earned it, right? I've got a lot more empathy for that this time than maybe I did last time. Well, agreed. The other thing that's good about it is investors do, if you talk to enough of them, ask you good questions. And sometimes they'll ask a question that you're like, I need to also ask that myself for all, this deal and all future deals. You, you will learn something eventually by talking to enough investors. And that's how you build a good flywheel, right? Like that feedback needs to get to your acquisitions team. And in your case, you are the acquisitions lead. So you're getting it you know, directly from the investors. So I, I think that's really, really good. Absolutely. That's something not talked about enough, right? Is this idea like, hey, money is great, but we have some money where people are like, hey, we trust you. I don't understand the math, but I trust you. Here's the money, right? Like that's that's great. Uh, we also have some people, like some people could be, you know, a, a DICK about it and be like, you know, you guys don't know what you're doing, right? Like your Excel isn't formatted correctly. You guys are garbage, right? But the 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 best LPs are probably like, hey, they have money, but they also give like really tough, like fair, constructive feedback, right? Like, hey, you need to understand that your fees, they don't make it so our incentives are aligned, right? Or, and this is the reason why. We've gotten some really good feedback on things from LPs that I'm like, this this guy or gal is really smart and that really helps our business. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we sent out our this deal in a, an abbreviated format a month ago before the financing was locked up to those three or four people that gave us great feedback on our first deal that were you know, very, very intentional with their thoughts. And we sent it to them and we adjusted the deal a little bit based off of what they said, you know? So, so it already, it already helps you. You just got to listen. That's basically it. For sure. And I'll, I'll say one of the big learning points that of course, right? Like, uh, duh, Plumstead, but we had one of our LPs that's like, Hey, your financial model is good, but what if it doesn't happen as you have it modeled, right? Like best case scenario, 
how does all the money get split up, right? But then worst case scenario, how does all that money get split up as well? And it was a great, you know, some people could call it a sensitivity analysis or whatever, but I, I think it was just really important for me to look at it. Like, hey, let's let's cover our downside. Let's try to make sure we have upside. But what if things really go to hell? What does it look like? What if things do awesome? What does it look like? Make, making sure we understand how incentives are aligned and how everyone gets paid in, in both of those scenarios. For sure, for sure. But we're here to talk, uh, we want to talk find, fun, finish. So we're going to go over this deal that we, we've been uh, blabbering about. And uh, you're the finder. Do you want to go through the finding process for this deal, how it all happened and give an exp- and just give an overview of the deal itself, I guess? Yeah, for sure. So um, let's talk from a uh, really macro sense. We're looking in Sunshine States. We think there's people moving to sunshine states. I'm located in Tampa in part because we hope to really turn on deal flow in Southwest Florida. Really excited about Florida, North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas. Excited about all those places, right? Well, we got our first facility in Lawton, Oklahoma. Okay. And everything's going, going well with it, but we're hitting Texas hard. We're hitting Florida hard. And then our broker that sold us our first deal brought us this second deal, the current deal we have under contract and, and we're going to be closing hopefully in a couple of weeks, right? He brought the deal in Lawton again and we looked at it, okay? And what what's good about Lawton? What's bad about Lawton? Okay, the good thing about Lawton, military market, lots of people coming and going, lots of people deployed off and on, uh, training rotation, storage in a military town uh, has very high demand, okay? Um Great cash flow market. Uh, it's going to be consistent for a long time. Fort Sill is going to uh, go anywhere. What's maybe some of the downside? The population of Lawton, Oklahoma, is not going to double in our lifetime. Right? We're never going to see crazy appreciation in that market. Okay, so it's a it's a cash flow market. Good goods and bads, right? Um, but the broker brought us the deal. The first thing we did is go, okay, what's it? What's it listed for? Price per square foot. What's the cap rate? How do we feel about it? And what value add opportunities do we have? And the big thing we saw was rents were significantly below market, right? Like a solid 30%. And then further analysis, overall, we got that number at 47%. So rents are currently 47% below market. Yeah. And for clarity, um, how do we do that? Like, how do we figure out where the, where the red should be. So we took um, three facilities that we looked at as the leaders um, for self-storage in that area. Storage RS was one of them. I think Lawton Minimax was the other. And uh, we got the price for all of their different ty- unit types. So 10 by 10, non-climate control, 10 by 10, climate control, 10 by 20, non-climate. You have a giant list. You figure out what all their rates are. And then we took basically the, the median or the middle number for every unit type. And we're like, that's the rent for that particular unit. And we saw 47% gap between this facility and uh, those other facilities. So right off the bat, we're like, even if we took occupancy and you didn't even move it, right? Like occupancy stayed the same. That's still 47% revenue growth. If you just slowly get those rents up, that's, that's a big opportunity on a 400 unit approximately facility. So that's, that's the main opportunity in a nutshell. Like that is... There's other things that are great about the deal, but that really is the deal, in my opinion. That's everything. That's everything, right? Or it's not everything, but it's it's the most important thing. Because a lot of people want to get wrapped up in, in cap rates. What cap rate can you sell at? Because if you sell at 
a seven cap versus a six cap versus a five and a half cap, like that could make or break a deal, right? And also how much appreciation do you expect? If you're underwriting 8% appreciation per year, almost any deal is going to look good in five to 10 years from now, right? Mm -hmm. But this, how we were able to underwrite this deal is, hey, if nothing changes, if the market doesn't get any better, if cap rates don't change at all, or even if cap rates go up, if we can just get up to market value rents, it's going to be a great deal. So we were able to to look at the price um, and, and feel really good about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's basically it. And then how um, how the negotiations go? Take me through that since you handled a lot of it. It was kind of a little bit of a pain. Um, <laughs> we worked with the broker who we like a lot. Uh, I think uh, he was confident in our character and our ability to close. So um, he, he he's really good to work with. The tricky part is we've got this facility and then he's got this other really crappy facility that he wants to sell as well. And we didn't really want the other crappy facility, uh, but he wanted to sell it. So we're buying that as well in a separate but kind of connected transaction uh, to buy it from. And then we're going to basically try to fire sale it right away because it's not a facility that we want to own long-term. So that was, it was tricky there. And it was also just tricky. We did this over the holidays. Okay. So we're going to get into the funding aspect, but because we did it over the holidays, our timeline has now, our timeline is off, right? Like it's been extended, but our timeline is off. So then when a timeline goes off, it makes the seller nervous, right? Like any seller is going to be like, why is this taking so long, right? So we're still in an active negotiation, really, because we haven't closed yet. So I won't put all the cards on the table, right? But as this timeline potentially has to stretch further, I'm anticipating more negotiations and, you know, time kills deals. So we need to try to close this thing as soon as possible, because as we try to extend that timeline, people can become irrational and start asking for crazy things and can potentially take a great deal to a terrible deal. Yeah. I'll clarify a couple of things um, because our, our investors are not investing in the second facility that no, that we didn't really want, or we kind of wanted, but there, we didn't feel like investors and us would all want to be in that deal together. Right. It was just um, it's a smaller facility, lower quality, um, much less equity in the deal. We put that on hundred percent seller financing note, right. With like a five-year balloon. So we have five years to sell that thing and it does cash flow. So from a risk perspective, I feel really, really good about it. But from an operations perspective, it's just not worth us holding on to. It's not worth the effort for us to hold on. That's that's basically that deal. Um, but anyway, anyway, let's talk about um, funding. So it seems like I'm doing the interview here. Uh, you usually do it, but it seems like our roles pivoted mid podcast. Let's let's roll with it. Um, take us through the the financing part for the funding part. So I'll I'll throw the mic back over to you, but I'll set it up with this: <laughs> is we're using a broker right? We're using a loan broker. So that means uh, he takes 1% of the loan amount at closing for trying to set it all up for us, right? So he hit up a bunch of banks and said, hey, here's these guys. This is the their business plan. This is the asset. This is what they want to buy. There's goods and bads about that whole experience. Uh, but Frank, let me throw it to you. Tell us you know, how it's gone over the timeline and then where we're at today. 
So I'm going to do bottom line up front. I'm going to say where we're at first um, and then tell the story how we got there. So we ended up, I would say the, maybe the best thing about this deal when you compare our deal to other similar deals is the financing we did get, right? A lot of times when people have a facility where you're adding this much value operationally or physically to a property, they get bridge loans and we were able to get long-term financing. So right now where we're at, is we have a 20-year amortization, 15-year note, so 15-year balloon, 4.25% interest. Um, the rates reset every five years, but the first five years, it's 4.25. And then we got 12 months of interest-only payments while we stabilize the asset, which allows us to pay our investors a good return, or should allow us, I can't guarantee anything, should allow us to pay them after Q1, like we have with our first deal. So I feel really, really good about that because we're taking on an asset where even if we had the principal payments included in the first year, it was still, it was the debt service coverage ratio was right around one with a 25 grand CapEx reserve, right? So that's pretty conservative. In reality, we probably have, we have a cash flowing asset. We're able to add a little bit of cash flow at the beginning with the 47% rent upside, right? And the occupancy has room to grow too. So I feel really, really good about that financing. Single family people might hear that and say, I get a 30-year mortgage at uh, 2.9% in 2021. Uh, that sounds terrible. Listen, go look at the commercial loan space. This is a good loan. I feel really, really good about it. So our broker did a great job negotiating terms, right? Our broker did an excellent job, I think, presenting us as competent business owners and operators. So I think I feel really, really good about that. The con of using a broker is because there's a middleman, communications are going to move slower, right? There's a game of telephone that occurs. He he might identify or he or she identifies a loan officer you're going to work with. They talk to them. Loan officer gives feedback, goes to the broker. Feedback then goes from the broker to you. And there's just going to be a delay, right? So all those different communications have a day lag. So that does result, I think, in a little bit of an elongated shopping period for loans. And I think that's the con that I would say people have to contend with. So are you going to do a 60-day close if you use a broker? I would advise you to do at least 75, right? I think that's a good lesson learned for us. Maybe do 90 if, if you want to just be safe. So those are my thoughts. What about you? I think it's good. The other thing is getting anything done over the holidays is so terrible. I don't care what day Christmas falls on or New Year's falls on. You can't get anything to move, <laughs> at all during the holidays. It's like, you, you just got to kind of say all of that is a wash. It's it's frustrating, right? And then you also have to realize when you're dealing with a smaller local bank, we were told that the bank president got COVID, which I think he's, he's fine, he's recovering, right? But something like that has potentially delayed us two more weeks as well, right? So there's there's just these hiccups, right? Where... I think we're able to stay rational, like we're impatient, right? But we're feeling good about it. I think next time, trying to do a better job of expectation management with management with the broker and the seller, because we get the sense that the seller is getting more impatient. We'll see how it goes, right? But through the holidays and then smaller bank, it's just, it's taken a while. We've been working on, I mean, it took us well over a month to get the financing locked up. It was over the holidays, but it was about a month from when we had everything to they said, okay, you're good to go. Yeah, for sure. It, it was a little frustrating. 
to be on, you know, but I think at the end of the day, I think we did do a pretty good job of keeping the broker updated. I, like we texted him and called him multiple times. Like, Hey man, this is taking longer. Like, please let the seller know, like, this is where we're at, but you just can't help. The seller can't help but have anxiety, right? Like this asset in this case is making up a gigantic chunk of this person's net worth, right? They, they, they want to probably take these funds and either 1031 it or use it for retirement purposes. And they got two young, two young guys that, you know, hustling their butt off on the other side. They don't know us. Right. So it's, it's natural stuff. I think it's easily overcome as long as we have cool heads. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. So two young guys. And although I live in Tampa, uh, I think we're probably presented as two young guys from New York, right. Which might be bad. Here's a funny aside for you is I talked to a storage broker this week that was looking at the last facility we bought, was looking at the last facility we bought and then found out, hey, we sold it to two young guys from New York. <laughs> and uh, like it was us and he knew us from Twitter. So he's like, I wonder if that was John and Frank. <laughs> kind of small world. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like uh, your name, I think Plumstead is nice and wholesome. I don't think a lot of people want to sign a contract and see the last name Scapatici on the other end. <laughs> you know, yes. like, it's just one of those names where, you know, I'm not saying people are racist, but people see that and they're like a New Yorker with this guy's really, really thick Italian last name. Like I, I don't really, if I'm in the Midwest, I don't want to sell to that person. You know, let's just call it what it is. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, we've got loan term 75% LTV. So we're raising right around 30%, 35% from investors, right? 25% for loan, then another 5% to 10% to, uh, to start the, that business account and right? to make sure we've got capex and uh, operating expenses. So we're raising that money. So how are we how are we raising the money, Frank? Mix. I think it's a mix of hustle and a little bit of um, strategic outbound marketing. I guess we'll call it. Um, a lot of the money. What we did is we got the financing hooked up. We originally went to or first went to our trusted investors, like our VIPs, the people that have worked with us before. We trust them. They have a good relationship with us, and we said, hey, this is going to go live. We're going to send this out more broadly to our mailing list on Monday, but we want your guys' feedback You know, and you guys have the first shot at giving us a commitment. And we did that. And that got us pretty, moved us along pretty good. We're pretty far along in the capital raising um, by Monday morning when we sent the deal actually out to the broader list. So that was really, really good. You sent out those communications from your personal email, I might add, or your work email. So you're getting bombarded with all the communications and I'm Kind of sitting here waiting for you to send me uh, people to talk to. It's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, so maybe we'll load balance that next time around. But this time you're definitely bearing the brunt. Um, and we've been getting a lot of emails back, and also old investors trickling in and saying, "Hey, I got a chance to look at it. Um, let's talk Wednesday, right? Today's Tuesday for context." So I think that's probably going to be enough. To be honest, I think because we've grown our Twitter accounts. And we have some track record. Like having one deal done is a gigantic hurdle to get over. Like once you've done a deal and you've had a good quarter and a distribution out, it does change the tone, right? Or at least change the. Um, it alleviates investor fear. I would just call it what it is, right? Like this person actually set up their LLCs correctly. They have their system set up. I get communications and updates on the property, and they send me a distribution. Okay. This seems to be working, right? Like that's a big hurdle to overcome. And we've done that, right? So I think what we've done might be enough. Like we'll find out by Friday, but I know we have at least five phone calls to book for the next two days. 
are booked already for the next two days. And I think those conversations are going to go well. So I think that's it, to be yeah. honest. What's your take? Oh, well, one thing I would add in uh, full transparency, in part why we're doing a joint Wednesday podcast and not a solo Wednesday podcast is if you're listening to this on Wednesday, I think there's a good chance we still have room. Uh, so send me an email, John, J-O-H-N at graylineinvestments.com or send an email to Frank, Frank at graylineinvestments.com. If you want in 25K minimum, um, we're taking accredited and non-accredited investors, uh, but would love to jump on the phone and talk with you if you are interested, right? But yeah, I think I, I feel really good about everything um, money raising wise. I think two, two things that I think are key, okay? One is like, hey, what's our process for creating a good email list? It's like talk to everybody all the time and then talk to more people more. <laughs> it's like, right? Like just uh, if you're fishing, it's like put as many as many hooks out in the water as you can on as many different mediums as you can, right? Like put them everywhere. And then the other thing I think that personally is just amazing is when I get on the phone with people, like I understand the deal so well, or I, at least I understand my competence and what I do understand and don't understand. And it's so nice to not have to do any bullshitting, right? Like I've been on sales calls where like people ask questions that I gotta do a little bullshit and I'm tap dancing and I don't really know. And it's a terrible feeling, right? What's great at this point in our journey is we still have a ton to learn, but I'm very, very confident in like, Hey, this is what we know. And if someone asks us a question that we don't know, I'm fine saying like, Hey, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about it. I'm going to have to reflect on it. Right. And it, it took a long time to get to this point, but why am I saying all this? Because I'm confident getting on the phone with any investor whether I've got notes in front of me or not and going, Hey, what questions do you have? Like, I'm, I'm happy to answer those questions. And uh, that's a great feeling. And I, I think, well, I know investors can definitely feel that, you know? Yeah. I mean, ultimately they're investing in you, right? I mean, if you, if you come across as honest, transparent and humble and the deal looks good, like you're, you're hitting your, the IRR targets that, that investor wants. I mean, that's 90% of the battle. That's 90%. They might have some people who have a lot of experience investing in real estate, private equity. They might have some like really nuanced question um, that's missing from your Excel model, right? But in reality, is that the thing that's keeping them from investing in the deal? It's like, no, the, the number one thing that's going to keep them investing in the deal is you acting sleazy or lying, right? <laughs> like that's yeah. that's it. So I think, I think we are benefiting from, uh, I'll pat ourselves on the back, like some goodwill that's been built up over the long term. I think there's probably a lot of people that are investing with us that have watched us along our journey. And then like, all right, they're getting, they're getting better. They're, they're getting more competent. They're learning. And now we're like two years down the road and they're, they're like, all right, I know I can trust them, but now I think they're not, they're smart enough and they know what they're doing. Now I'm going to put my foot in the gas with these guys and invest some capital. I think we're starting to get a little bit of that momentum. You can kind of feel it. So we're at a, we're an exciting part of our journey. Like a year ago, we couldn't raise half a million dollars. Now we're going to raise well over a million in less than a week. Now, like the next deal, we, you know, we have to obviously have our operations keep up with the capital raising and acquisitions functions of our business. But like we could probably raise five million dollars in equity. You know, like this is we're at a life changing uh, point in our business. It's pretty crazy. 
It is. It is. I, I want to go back to that reputation thing a little bit. West Point's got an honor code. Cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. And I think as 18 to 22 year old cadets, we're like, hey, we got to make sure we don't do anything stupid and get kicked out of West Point, right? Like we got to make sure we don't cheat, cheat on a test or cheat on our homework and get kicked out of West Point. And at least for me, I didn't necessarily have the maturity to appreciate those words, right? But what is it now, right? Now we're, you know, 34, 35, 36 years old. And I'm very confident someone that is trying to do some due diligence on us. I'd be like, hey, here's my family. Here's my friends. Here's all of my acquaintances. And I'm confident that I haven't compromised my character at all in the last 10 years, right? Like I've I've made plenty of mistakes. I can be a dumbass. I can do stupid stuff. But as far as living with high character, West Point kind of taught us to do that. And I didn't appreciate it hardly at all when I was 22 years old. But now 15 years later, I'm like, it was, it was amazing lifelong lessons that I, I think give investors confidence in us and also give us confidence to be like, hey, these were my last couple bosses or this is who I've worked with before and, and feeling good about it. So thanks, West Point. I might not have appreciated you when I was younger, but I'm very thankful uh, for that education. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's also, um, we have an incentive to continue to act that way because we do have West Pointers that invest in our deals. Right. And we're part of a West Point or Service Academy, I should say, networking group where we show deals to each other, we share information, blah, blah, blah. And if someone in that group acted with really poor integrity, right, and it affected other members of the group or they found out, it would have a really damaging effect on that person, right? Like you can't really operate in our little kind of sphere and do that stuff too long because, because people value it and it was not, they were hit over the head their entire 17 to 21 year olds adult life, like, Hey, you have to act with good character. If we see someone fail in that regard, like we kind of, they get discarded pretty quick. Right. So we're also heavily incentivized to keep this going, you know, not saying that we wouldn't, but I'm just saying we, we have incentive. We have to keep doing it for the business. to sure. operate. Charlie Munger's got a quote and I might be butchering it a little bit, but it's something to the effect of like, if people understood what a great return on investment, high character is, they'd never compromise it. Right. Yeah. This idea that like, in the short term, it, it might, you might be able to justify compromising your integrity. But if you look at over the long term, the long term return on high character can't be beat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, as we're transitioning to uh, investor relations and finish, right, I think that's where that character actually comes in. Like that, I think that's a good lead in because like, how do you have good character when people have already given you the funds and you've deployed the majority of them and you're managing their, their money, right? And I think like the simplest system is that we use is, hey, first three months of stabilizing an asset, investors get an email every two weeks, right? And then after that, they get an email every month. And I think if you want to have good character, the way to do that is like share sausage making from day one, right? Like I'll give an example. Our first facility, we had a guy break into like four units and like he damaged, he didn't really steal anything, which was odd. He might've been cracked out. Maybe he was probably a meth head or something. I don't know what was going on, but he he just like damaged a bunch of units, caused a couple thousand dollars worth of damage. The next update, we just told everybody like, hey, cash flow is going to be down like 1800 bucks this month. We got repairs, you know? And like, I th- feel like if you just communicate that stuff on a cadence, like you don't have to think about it. Like, oh, it's, it's the 15th. I sent out this email. Like that's 90% of the character battle of managing people's finances right there. Like if the economy tanks and you were on, you're on the hook to send that email, you're going to have to tell people like, hey, I have to drop rents because uh, 
you know, we're in a deflationary environment. Something crazy happened in 2024, right? Dude, if you just get into cadence, that's 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 the whole thing. That's the whole battle. That's it. It's easy. For sure. I used to teach when when I was at West Point teaching, we'd talk about having high character. And one of the things I would tell cadets is it having high character can mean different things to different people. What it always meant to me is no matter what mistake I made, I'd be willing to stand on the boss's carpet and be like, yep, I made that mistake. But guess what? I didn't compromise my integrity. Right? So what you're saying is like, Hey, we're going to communicate everything. And we're never going to go to bed with that, that feeling in our stomach. Like, Oh my gosh, I hope investors don't find out about this. Right? It's like, Hey, this is how this asset's performing. This is the decisions we've made. These are the mistakes we've made because we will make mistakes, right? But just being right off the bat, like, hey, this is what everything is. And, you know, you, you might not love it, but we're always going to be honest and upfront. Such a great way to live. I, I feel like we're kind of getting preachy here. So maybe let's let's talk about, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, some of the levers we're going to pull to to finish this deal, then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Right. Um, it's a five-year hold also this deal. So we're going to, we're expecting this to be five years until we disposition either through a sale or a refinance. So that's the plan, but we think stabilization will take 18 months. We're projecting in our math though, two years to just add a little bit of buffer anyway. So what do we, what can we do here? Right. Well, obviously we're going to raise rents. I think in the first 60 days, we should expect a rent increase for this particular facility. You take over the place, you make sure your customer database is good. You have an accurate reflection in all your systems of what is happening on ground. And then you start you start moving, right? You start executing revenue management. You increase rents. You start your Google PPC campaigns. We use Sparefoot, which is amazing in the Lawton market as in a marketing tool. It's been super effective. It's actually been better than our Google, Google campaigns to this point. So really, really good. Um, you set up your Google My Business page, get reviews, testimonials, yada, yada, yada. I think every business does that, right? Every small business should do these things. So we do that. Um, and then uh, you have to get, what's going to happen is, when you take over a mom and pops organization, you're also going to have to inherit the bad tenants, the delinquency, because a pretty common thread that you'll see amongst these facilities is they didn't make people pay. Or when people didn't pay, they put them on payment plans, or they didn't have auctions on a frequent enough basis, yada, yada, yada. So in the first three months, like we'll do our first auction, and then we'll get on a quarterly cadence at a minimum to, uh, to keep delinquencies down, right? So those are there's other things we do. But those two things are probably the most influential things to do to have a good impact on revenue or top line. The other thing we'll do is we're going we're gonna to have the manager stay on for the first 30 days that the previous seller employed. And then we'll make some type of an agreement with them to have a transition plan and then move them off the books because we just don't need 40 hours of wages on the facility. We have a boots on ground that'll go from our other facility to this one. And we'll probably end up charging somewhere around 10 hours a week. So we should save, you know, somewhere around 60 to 70% of the onsite wages on a monthly basis too. So that'll get our NOI up. The other thing I think on this facility we're going to do for the first time is a cost segregation study to capture some of that accelerated and bonus depreciation. We haven't communicated that to investors yet. I want to get the study done because it's our first time doing it, but I think it'll be a nice surprise um, when investors get those benefits. Um, but those are some of the levers. What, what am I missing? No, I, I think you hit them, right? Like okay. we're... We're, we're ready to rock. I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a good one. It's a big, it's a bigger deal for us. Uh, deal number two. One thing we didn't talk about is we, I guess we did a podcast about it, but we've, we've had multiple other deals where we were under contract 
that have fallen out, right? Like yeah. getting a deal, um, right? Like this, so this is our, hopefully going to be our second deal. We had two other deals that we were under contract, flew to the facility, were ready, ready to do it. That didn't work out for one reason or another. So we're, we're really hopeful this one, this one makes it. And then as the acquisitions guy, I'm looking at it like, I got to have deals, you know, three, four, and five lined up because if we continue like this, we're only going to close one of three, four, and five. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited, man. It's a uh, pressure's on, but it's, it's the type of pressure I think we want. So don't take that for granted. I like it. For sure. Send us an email, john at greylineinvestments.com, frank at greylineinvestments.com. If you're interested, thanks for listening. Frank, take us out. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Like John said, reach out if you guys want to talk to the dealer about anything else. Have a great week. Thanks.